When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast. It's off-season. I've already started to lose my mind with the <laughs> lack of racing on. Apologies for the delay on this one. This is the second Q&A for hitting... Uh, crazy you got 20,000 subscriber youtube milestone we've got like a 50,000 total weekly audience milestone considering the volume of pods we produce i think we're it's hard to know i think maybe at some periods of the year benji we're the biggest english language cycling biggest pro cycling podcast in the world definitely the second biggest so we're absolutely crushing it right now thanks to the audience and for your reviews we'll have a read of some of the roast reviews benji and lantern stuff it again later here with benji as always first order of business sorry i've just i'm, I'm on a heater because i just i drove back from paris yesterday i couldn't i was so excited to get back to andorra we tried recording this last thursday in the hotel internet broke down full toys out of the, the toys out of the uh, pram tantrum from me which is uh, nothing new but first things first benji you're going full-time next year. You want to work with me more on a full-time basis. What was going through your mind when you made that terrible life decision? Yeah, I don't know. I feel like it's more of a decision that I made out of the fact that I need more time to recover outside of the podcast from being with you. So therefore, it's better that I have free time, you know? <laughs> no, I, uh, I'm loving it. I want to uh, focus more on this, on this adventure. It's been great. And it's only thanks to the support of everybody that suppose this podcast and personal stuff that I do that I'm able to do a step like this because uh well I'm I'm 23 I'm like yeah I've got a degree in IT it's something I love doing but let's be real cycling's an addiction to me and it's something I love investing my time into and to be able to invest more time into this trying to make the best content possible is uh is a dream come true to be honest so uh I can't wait so big thanks to Benji. He's one of the most hardworking people I know. And yeah, as he said, that very young. That stops next year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Unbelievable commitment to the podcast. Never misses an episode or anything like that. So I want to say big thanks to Benji and all your support of both he, myself, and the podcast, as well as, of course, LaCole, who without LaCole's support, having the podcast becoming more ser- more and more serious and having Benji come on full-time, not possible without LaCole's support. They produce, obviously, performance cycling apparel. You can check them out at www.lacole.cc. But what people want to know, Benji, is a first question on Twitter that we had for the Q&A from Morley Sport and One. How much preparation goes into every episode? Let's start first with just the, the standard race recap episode. How much prep goes into it? So, so much. Nah, not at all. So basically, we uh, end up watching the race. Sometimes we take notes, sometimes we don't, because on one end, taking notes does help us to gather our thoughts about what happened in the race afterwards, to be able to talk about it on the podcast. But on the other end, we also want to keep enjoying it as much as possible. And therefore, it's sometimes more fun to enjoy the action and then forget about 
taking notes. Sometimes it leads to us figuring it out throughout the podcast itself what actually happened in the race. But I think that's the beauty of what we do here. And uh, nah, we don't have much preparation in that aspect. So we start the podcast recording about five to 10 minutes after the race has ended because sometimes we try and rewatch a sprint to see what happens in the background. Because in a sprint, you'd be like, okay, two riders at the front are sprinting against each other, but you're not exactly looking at who is deviating 10 meters behind and making a horrible move there or who's actually losing power because he, I don't know, he had a, a chain issue or something. Those details is what you see on a second viewing and that makes it uh, fun as well. But that's basically it for the uh, race recaps, right? So roughly uh, one rewatch with sprints and outside of that, not too much. There's like not too much that we prepare for that. But when it comes to like steam previews at the start of the season, do you feel like we prepare that better? No, we just look at the pro cycling stats, transfers in and out, and then off we go. So that's not even that well prepared either. That's why the hot take section is so good. Secondly, what's the last one we do? Race previews. We actually take the Grand Tour previews a fair bit of preparation, whether it's actually formal preparation or just you know staring at the parkour endlessly. Yeah. Or talking We're, about it in chat yeah. for like an hour or two. Exactly, just thinking about it a lot. There's a fair bit of prep that goes into that, and they got a bit long when we started them. And I, I thought we got to tighten this up, uh, particularly for like the Vuelta. You know, that can't be going for two hours, so they're a bit more controlled, and, and they perform well. So we seem to be on the right track there. But the race recaps, there's just too many of them to script them, and uh, that's why sometimes it's just yeah, it's pretty much our reaction. Maybe next year we'll even have live reactions, maybe some live watch-alongs next year. Stay tuned for that. Next question from Tim0k on Twitter. What's the end game for the LR brand? Now, I presume he means by the LR brand, like the, uh, the all-encompassing Lantern Rouge Media Empire, under which <laughs> is owned by the company here in Andorra, so which has the YouTube channel, the podcast. Well, obviously, I want to build out uh, the podcast even more. I want to perhaps look at Spanish language content to fall under that company, but that really won't have any crossover with with this feed, it won't be in the same podcast feed. I want to build out a website as well that will have sort of just straight up race previews, race recaps, sticking sticking to pro cycling, like very in depth, like the podcast does. I feel like there's uh, an appetite for that, and for the main channel, my main channel, obviously trying to get as many rice as possible. So RCS is the big one to work on for me. Also looking at moving into the live right space, possibly for smaller races if that if that comes up. But to be honest, it's more about finding at the moment from a business perspective sponsors that work. At the moment, I've not had any sponsors ever on the, the main channel despite pretty significant assets there now with the, to literally Tour de France race rights. Uh, I've not had to yet, but it's something I will need to do, but I don't want to pick something that's you know annoying or inorganic. So... It's trying to find ways to monetize the content without annoying the audience uh, so that it's sustainable because you can't, you know, it's all well and good. Oh, well, I don't have to monetize. But then if you want Benji's full-time, that's fine. But we want more people to come on. You, you yeah. need you need to be making more money. Uh, but, yeah, what do you see for the, the pod, Benji? Where can it go? Live shows, going to races? What do you think? All seems like an option. I do want to add on that next to our... Uh... The aspect that you mentioned when it comes to sponsors on your main channel, there's also an aspect of ethics to it uh, when it comes to sponsorships because LR is pretty on point when it comes to his moral compass in my eyes personally. So uh, yeah, heads up for you. 
Um, but I feel like it's also important because you don't want to go in bed with a with a product or something that you don't stand by. And with Lacole, we are doing that because I love what Lacole is prepping. And that's why we uh, enjoy promoting a product like that. And that's why it's also a, perhaps a bit harder to find sponsorships in certain areas because you would be like, okay, we got to make sure that we vet this company or their products well enough to know that what they do is a good influence on the people that watch our podcast or listen to our podcast because arguably we have a responsibility for the stuff we promote in my eyes and therefore that's important but hey uh when it comes to like the future of lr i think there's there's so much in the cycling uh world that needs improving and with this we have an ability to uh make a move in that and we've already made quite a bit of content on women's cycling i feel like we need to keep on doing that and we need to try and find a way to make that even more accessible or enticing for people to dive into that that's something i personally uh am well invested into and next to that there's so much talent in the space like you mentioned we can bring people on in the future as well but obviously you need to uh, actually have like money to do so and there's so much talent in the space that is very obvious in my eyes like there's people on on Twitter, on YouTube, on all kinds of platforms, on Twitch that have so much talent when it comes to analyzing this sport or doing one aspect of this sport better than everybody else. And to be able to bring those people together would be a great asset for uh, for everybody that watches and uh, follows cycling in my eyes. And that's my input on that. I can't give specific details on what ideas because uh, I didn't think about it too much. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think I'm pretty excited about the future. I mean, I had a, a conference today or a summit or whatever you want to call it in Andorra where I was actually asked to speak about innovation in cycling and, you know, then companies here in Andorra coming and speaking to me. And so everything does seem to be moving in the right direction in that sense. Now onto some cycling-related ones from uh, cycling 703237766. Prime Sagan, <laughs> Prime MVDP, or Prime Wow Fun Art, who are you taking? I'm taking Sagan. I'm not even, I don't even <laughs> think I need to provide a justification. I feel like you need to because <laughs> mine is actually different. Sure, Prime Sagan was amazing, but the thing is, Prime Van Art's pretty good as well, but I'm more intrigued by Prime Vanderpool because <laughs> I feel like Vanderpool is the most entertaining cyclist we have right now. And I feel personally for me that he's. A bit more more entertaining than Sagan was at his prime. Despite him being hella entertaining back then, that one descent in the green jersey, was it at the end of the Tour of Vuelta? Well, Probably the Tour de France. Was it Vuelta? With Nibali okay. Vuelta, yeah. Uh, very, very possible. And all that stuff was very entertaining. But the difference is that we've seen Sagan's prime, well, on paper. I don't expect him to uh, suddenly rise up from the ashes and win 10 stage in the, in the Tour de France in the next few years. But you never know. You never know. Total energy. It's going to do it. But um, Vanderpool's potential peak, for, in my eyes, has not been reached yet. Strade was amazing. But if we can see that exact thing on a monument happening, where he absolutely obliterates the competition in a very majestic way, that's something I do expect to come at some point. And therefore, I'm picking Vanderpool because we haven't seen his full peak yet in my eyes he still has more to offer than we have seen so far and therefore uh that's my pick i mean it's again 
119 wins. The big knock, I guess, is the only two monuments, no MSR, never did Liège, I don't think, in his prime. I'm counting his prime in like the 2013 region no. when he could climb just outrageously well. He obviously Tireno. Tireno, whew, uh Chianti stage. Anyway, the one against Kreuzker and Cadell Evans and Consador, just absolute scenes. I think he climbs at his peak, he climbed better than, better than Van der Poel. Yeah, that's my view, not as well yep. as Van Aert, obviously. But, yeah, I think Sagan, three world champs, I don't know, I think I just I, the monuments is the issue, but I, I feel like I'd still take him over Van der Poel. Uh, well, Van Aert, I think, the best time trialist in the world, but he's so far behind those two in classics and, yeah, in terms of total domination. Anyway, next one, Benji. From Natalie Nice or Nice on Twitter, have Alpes and Phoenix broken the UCI World Tour Pro Series rankings? Do you think they'll stay at Pro Series level indefinitely? I think I'll note, I don't believe there's any obligation on them to move up to World Tour level. So I guess what they can do is just keep dominating the Pro Conti level and procuring then automatic invites to any race they want to or the Grand Tours, which is... Pretty good for them. Even if they didn't have MVDP, they'd still be getting auto invites. So do you think they are exploiting a a loophole, Benji? Yes, I I certainly think so. I feel like they're exploiting a they're exploiting a badly made system. That's how I would feel. I would not necessarily see it as a loophole because it's pretty damn obvious that this could be done. So it's not like they found a hidden rule in the rule book that makes them able to do this. It's a blatantly obvious part of the way that the Pro Conti system works, the second division of cycling, at which the first team gets all these benefits. And let's talk about Alpecin for a second. 32 victories, 26 of which Van der Poel, Merlier, and Philipson. That's insane. 14 of which are World Tour wins. The only thing they don't have in this monumental season is an actual monument. But this was a an amazing season for them, and I wonder how much longer they can play that Pro Conti role, because on paper, the way that the system works next year is that in season 2020, 2021, and 2022, there was an all-encompassing uh, ranking for the teams for these three years, and that ranking will define who is in World Tour in 2023 and who is dropping out of that. But Alpsen is obviously going to be promoted according to that, but they are not actually needed to say yes to that. They can reject it, which, like you mentioned, would again make them able to continue doing this. So the only way that this would stop is if the UCI changes the rules of the Pro Conti division, which they don't have for that long, actually. I think this was introduced like five years ago, four years ago, this this special first... uh, first rule of that Pro Conti division? Well, unless they change that and take that huge benefit away of having a very amazing calendar, however you want to make it, because they can accept or reject World Tour races, while World Tour teams sometimes have to ride races. Last year, we saw that some teams were kind of using COVID as a means to not having to go to a, what's that French race? Blouet? Britannia Classic? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So uh, that's one of the examples that teams clearly don't all want to ride all those races and Alpsen has the benefit of not having to do so. There's probably some other advantages rules-wise that definitely are better for 
that situation, but people are paying for a World Tour team. They're paying for that World Tour license. And then you've got a team that doesn't pay for it that has more benefits. So it's it's unfair for World Tour teams, but I'm enjoying it because it's funny. Like, it's funny that a team is doing this. So what you're telling me is that Jumbo Visma's sponsors don't get any ROI from competing at Tour de Polonia, which is only televised in Polonia. <laughs> I'm saying, well, probably some Polish fans are like, oh, hype. Yeah, maybe there's yeah, some is here or something like that. <laughs> bike but... exchange, probably an Australian <laughs> bike retailer, um, online bike retailer. Is it a, Are they getting any benefit from an untelevised Tour de Polonia? Uh, I don't know. Probably not. There might Bianchi? Perhaps Bianchi's interested in Poland? I don't We're mind. too far. I don't <laughs> mind the setup because I think teams can get burnt because you yeah. can be a pro Conti team thinking you're making a big splash, get a race invite, and you sign Eli Viviani for 2 million euro a year. <laughs> and he, he has to be winning under 23 charity races to even get some, some wins on the list before his contract at Covetis finishes. And then he. He won those races against like you know Coy, who's like fresh out of the or whoever it was, fresh out of the Yumbo Visma development squad. And I think Vasso was like, "Well, actually, you know what? Might extend Viviani." It's like, "Fuck's sake!" Man. <laughs> he lost <laughs> against a, a top sport Vlaanderen sprinter, a, a young guy this week. So it's not overly promising, but yeah, I agree I mean, on that. Who is better than is better than Ramco. So anyone can lose the top sport Vlaanderen boy. Yeah. Okay, that's kind of true. But um, when it comes to like Sagan and Total, do you see that as one of the reasons that they signed him? Or do you think that that's just an outrageous thought that he could even remotely bring them towards that position? Oh, no, I'm just, it's outrageous. I agree. <laughs> I agree. I don't, I don't see it. And also another example, of, sorry, going back to my, is Quintana at Arkea. Yeah, who else? I mean, the, the, what dare you speak about Dyer like that? The, the, pro, the problem is there's good and bad. Sagan at Bora, they were a pro Conti team, Argon and, and NetApp Enduro or whatever, and he brought them up with him. But whether he'll do that, yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, moving on. This is going to be one for the off-season, particularly their preview is going to be a spicy one, I think, Benji. Do, this came from a few people. Do Ineos need to change anything? Have they lost their way? Bearing in mind that they, do they win much after Tour de Suisse? I don't, let, me, let me just quickly check their wins this year. So their last World Tour win was Carapaz at Tour de Suisse, and then he obviously won won the Olympics. But the rest is Norway and uh, Tour of Britain, which, uh, yeah, not at World Tour level. So what do you think? Have they lost their way? No Tour de France win again, Benji. Yes, certainly they lost their way over the last couple of years. But I think they're already in the transitioning mode, and... I base it off the way that they are doing transfers. Now, I don't think they have a rider in their midst that is looking like he's going to obliterate Roglic and Pogacar next year. Yes, we will talk about the Tour de France parkour in a separate podcast, but that cobble stage is looking intriguing for a rider like Bernal, who's good on Strade and so forth. But um, in all honesty, I think Pogacar is good on that as well. So I think that they're going to have real trouble with the team that they have to win the Tour de France in the next couple of years unless Roglic and Pogacar both don't turn up or have issues during the Grand Tour. But looking at the youngsters, that's what is interesting to me. Obviously, Pitcock's a big gun for them. Like, let's be real. He's a guy that can win a lot of stuff in the future and not only on the roadside. We've got Luke Blapp, who recently signed up. 
who obliterated Bort or got the victory or gave the victory actually to Bort in uh that Santa Stood and Under festival or was it was it the real race or was it like uh a, a one-off thingy that they did for COVID? Is a, a festival? It was like a yeah, it's a is a stage race, but it was yeah, just a thing for COVID. Yeah, they've got a hater who's very, very talented. He's shown it quite a bit. And one rider I'm actually looking forward to as well to see his future. And next to that also, uh, Carlos Rodriguez, a rider I've been hyping up for like two years, <laughs> three years perhaps even, since the day he was like signing up for this team. Because he's actually been around for quite a bit despite his age. This is going to be his fourth year, third year in Ineos, I think. Is that correct? Probably second year at Ineos. Yeah, but, I don't think it's been in that long. Yeah, so 2020, 2021, two years at Ineos. Yes, yeah. my bad. And he's now 20 years old, was 19 last year, was already riding nicely on Lagunas and Naya last year, better this year. So that's how I view his improvement. Then at the Avenir race, to the Lavenir, the arguably one of the better uh, or most important, actually, U23 races out there. You've got him... Taking like, what was it, two minutes on the likes of Tobias Johansson in the last stage to try and take over GC. And he just missed out on the general classification. And uh, he's one of those Spanish riders that is coming up like a, a lot these days and is moving up in the division and will likely be riding a Vuelta for the first time, I'm guessing, next year. Mm, I think so, at least. I think uh, so. Might be early. But he's shown in Provence, was it? Right where he was really strong as domestique for Bernal and Sosa there. Yeah. Uh, he's shown that he's definitely a decent domestique. I don't know what his consistency over three weeks is going to be like. We don't know that, but it's definitely worth seeing that in a Vuelta for the first time. And I just look forward to seeing his future. And he's one of those riders like Roger Adria, like the other guy, Ayuso, that is going to be the, uh, wow, Spain is going to have a godlike team when it comes to the climbing in five years. And I'm looking forward to seeing it. The rebuild is certainly on for Ineos, like Sosa out the door. Uh, I think they they won the tour with Bernal and then they went away or maybe they didn't really. It's just a it's an 18-month period where their TT guy, Thomas, or TT, you know, Froome had the crash. Those guys are aging out and then they're signing, you know, Carapaz. They've got Bernal for, on a long-term deal. They had Sosa who are not TT guys, and they've gone away from the formula that made them so successful. And now their their rebuild seems to be on. Culturally, they even even the signing of Yates, which he's British, he's a good stage racer, but he's not that TT guy either uh, with that as a strong backbone. And Dumoulin is more the, the guy that fits that profile. And But, yeah, I, they, they seem to be rebuilding with younger guys. Platt fits that profile. Chef Magnus Sheffield is very strong. Ben Tullet is a great signing from Alperson starting next year. Deplus hasn't worked out for health reasons or whatever. Again, I thought that was an odd signing, actually. Uh, Deplus a little bit to them. Danny Martinez, unfortunately, has, has long COVID. Hopefully, he comes back strong as well. He does have a, a semi-decent TT. Pidcock as well as the future uh, and Ethan Hayter. So there seems to be the rebuild. They keep bringing over, I think Roger Hammond just left Bahrain to go join Ellingworth at yep. Ineos. So we've got to remember Ellingworth came back from Bahrain to Ineos at the start of this year. The team chemistry, obviously knowing nothing in reality from the outside, hasn't looked all rosy. Definitely the Vuelta seemed to be, I uh, would be surprised if Bernal and, and Adam Yates ride a Grand Tour together again. So 
But yeah, I think uh, I wouldn't be too concerned about any of They still won a lot this year, just not against Pog, not against Rog, be that a Grand Tour or just a World Tour level. At Torino, Thomas and Bernard got, got slapped uh, by those, by, by a lot of people actually, but mainly by, by Poggy Boy. Anyway, next one, Benji. From Daisy Daisy E, what's your favorite transfer for 2022? Whew. I'm actually um I'm actually way more hyped when it comes to the transfers to uh the women's world of cycling because on the men's cycling world you always have the leagues before the transfers happen and they're never fun anymore the second they arrive because we know about them for months and on the women's aspect of cycling, that's not the case. There's arguably almost no leaks when it comes to that and that's why i'm super hyped when we see a transfer and for example grace brown to fdg is a big one in my eyes i feel like the french fdg team is probably becoming my favorite team across the entire cycling world right now and sure that's also because uther ludwig is there and she's obviously uh an amazing uh rider uh, but also the young French pe- people that are riding there, and that team is just growing quite nicely into a team that can start winning more and more over the years. But the problem is that obviously there's SD Works in that space, and they're not going to give that up that easily. So I like rooting for an underdog like this team. But I'm also very intrigued by the uh, Yumbo transfers. They started their team last year or this year actually, um, with Mariano Vos signing up for a. Uh, Jumbo Visma and being the spearheaded leader, we had some growth in that team, like Rihanna Marcus moving up as well. But I feel like the transfer that they did this year with Cornervera coming from the likes of uh, uh, DSM, well, I think that's a great transfer because now you've got two spearheads that can definitely start winning stuff in more than just the races that Mariana Voss rides. And I am intrigued by that. I also look forward to seeing what youth talent they bring forward because Yumbo has been pretty great in that on both aspects, on the men's cycling and women's cycling, bring talent forward. And I'm also intrigued, maybe this is too huge for a transfer to mention, but the entire team of UNOX women's team next year, very intrigued what comes up there. If I have to give a men's transfer that I hate, because I don't want to give one that I feel like favorite <laughs> of, because I can't remember them, <laughs> is uh, Full Sang to Israel. I feel like that's becoming a oh, retirement yeah. home. So at this point, I... Um, three-year deal. Three years. <laughs> Why would you sign it for three years? Is it because like Premier Tech is moving there or... <laughs> I don't know. I have no idea what's going on. But yeah, that seems to be just like he watched some races, Sylvan Adams in 2019 and forgot that 2020 and 2021 happened. <laughs> uh, my favorite transfer is... Or the best transfers are made it to UAE. He's the best guy on the market and he got like, you know, taken by UAE can't complain with that I think Bora will be wishing they they match that maybe they didn't he just picked UAE I also like obviously Lopez back to Astana I cannot wait for that uh to see that next year Movistar chasing him so yeah I like those two transfers he's gonna be riding for Vincenzo Nibali come on is he at Astana yeah isn't that worse than one year deal I think okay one year not so bad I'm surprised Thomas still hasn't signed anyway yet but before we move on to our next Top a uh, couple of questions which are about us again. A couple of roast reviews. First one from Nebi Nater. Pain five stars. I like to put this on while I ride on the trainer. It makes me hate myself a little more. Next one from Garth Renfrew. LR and Benji stuff another episode. 
Hard to believe that these two are allowed to sit back and critique World Tour cycling teams and riders with impunity. Clearly, they have no pro or maybe even amateur race experience. Benji looks like a computer programmer, and LR appears to be a day walker who needs shades and sunscreen inside. No wonder he moved out of Australia. These guys, these guys know cycling about as much as Movistar knows team cohesion and unity. Much of their shows <laughs> are about as entertaining as a world to sprint stage with a Spanish meme break. If these guys were climbers, they would be behind the group header, and I'm sure Mercs would call these guys out for stuffing every show if he knew who they were. Five-star <laughs> review. Thank you very much, Garth. Agree with all of that. Okay, on to the next question from on Twitter. <laughs> how much from how much did that fresh Rolex set you back? Would either of you consider working as a DS or analyst at a team? Over to you, Benji. When it comes to design, I look at it in different ways because DS and analyst are two different pathways. A DS, I think people see DS only as tactical sometimes. And I think there's a lot of aspects to it next to that the human aspect, because we look at races in a very tactical way on this podcast, but sometimes probably don't ask the question of whether there's a human reason for a decision that is being made. Let's say, I don't know, there's a a rider that is from Spain and it's a Spanish race. It's not the most important race in the season. And we see that there's a sprinter in his team, there's a flat finish, but he's ahead with another guy that is faster than him. But the team wants to give him a chance because it's in his home region. And we're like, come on, dude throw yourself back to that other group and start pacing for your sprinter that is from, I don't know, from Belgium or something. So there's those aspects, the human aspect in decision-making that I think is undervalued a lot when it comes to the S's. Next to that, if it's a DS that rides the wheel and actually uh, does the driving behind the peloton, then I'd be the worst driver ever that was ever in a peloton. So uh, yeah, that's uh, definitely not likely happening. Also, I... I don't know if I actually would like being a DS. I feel like it's uh, a lot to think about next to all the tactical stuff. And I don't know all the details of what a DS holds and I'm not sure if I'd be good at it. So I probably wouldn't dive into it. I also enjoy what I'm doing much more than I probably would enjoy being a DS personally. Next to that, an analyst, uh, only if, if it's like, freelance work or anything i've never called myself an expert on cycling i'm not planning to do so i feel like it needs to come from the people that consume the content and as a consequence enjoy it and feel like it offers something analytically or tactically and therefore i won't necessarily go out and profile myself as a cycling expert to do freelance work for teams and so forth but if offers arise you never know if i've got time or anything i might think about it yeah, DS got no interest. Team management, yes, I have an interest, but I've got other things on my plate at the moment. You know, sitting in the car as a DS just looks terrible, frankly. And I'm not sure how anybody in that situation could make sophisticated decisions on the fly. Some of them actually, you know, they do. Like, it's incredible. Yeah. But yeah, it's not for me. I don't think as an analyst post, you know, after the race or in the off season, of course, we'd always be interested. Uh, I think my sprint analysis is pretty good, if I say so myself. I tend to agree. From Twitter, not sure who. Actually, this isn't from Twitter, Benji. I don't know why it says in our column it's from Twitter. I, I said this before we started. <laughs> is Zwift slash Be Cool slash Ruby slash Online Indoor Cycling or whatever it is, when they, when they make a competitive part of it, but it's still a human peddling, is that an eSport or is that indoor cycling competitions? That is indoor cycling competitions. Not an eSport. But- it depends on the gamification of the platform. Because like 
we have platforms that are solely you riding your bike on a turbo trainer and that being translated into a performance on that digital platform in a race. But there's aspects to it, like, I don't know, I don't think there's too many examples in the world already, but just games based on what you do on your bike could be more about the game than about the cycling aspect of it, of you actually doing the work. And I think the fact that you're doing all the work for something like a Zwift and so forth makes it less of an esport. And I think that Pro Cycling Manager, on the other hand, is an actual game where you don't have to physically do the work that much. And therefore, it's more of a, an esport in my eyes. Because otherwise, it's just a normal sport if you're riding your turbo trainer. That's my opinion. But on the other hand, the question is then, there's so many sports these days that are seen as just the mental capability. Like, it's just a sport. Yeah, I'm not sure it is an esport. When you think of, you know, Call of Duty, the spectrum of real war, killing people, paintball, (laughs) or laser tag, Call of Duty. You know, uh, where's the esports start? It's at Call of Duty is the esport, not at laser tag and probably not at real war. So for (laughs) cycling... Uh, yeah, where does they sit? Probably not in the spectrum of esports because to win, you got like even no matter how much you gamify it, you got to be crazy good at actual cycling, indoor cycling, taking the handling out of it, obviously. So, yeah, PCM, TDF game, whatever, that's more of what I understand as an esport. But there's still a lot of confusion around that, and the, the cycling indoor training competitions are still pretty much in their infancy. From Professor Jewel on Twitter. What advice would you give ASO in order to bring as much viewership and buzz as possible to the TDF next year, the inaugural edition? Obviously, just attended the route reveal, which was the same event as the men's, preceded the men's, packed room. Everyone that was there for the men's was there for the women's. There was no, maybe maybe people left after the women's, but it was peak for the women's. Uh, they all walked on stage at the same time, intermingled the, the men and, and, and women riders, which was great as well. So that was a great start. I think the route reveal was super hyped and got a lot of attention. I've seen that they have a separate Twitter account for the Tour de France fam race, and they'll be, they seem to be retweeting some stuff from the main tour account, which has like 3 million followers. Studio Fam 1 has 5,000. So that's a little bit of an issue. We'll see how they'll navigate that. I think they could have stayed with the main main account because the races are not on at the same time next year. I understand that they'll probably be on the main Tour de France YouTube channel, though, the highlights. They won't be making a separate YouTube for it. But what, what do you think, what advice would you give ASO to, to promote Epenji? Well, firstly, I, I want to give the example of, I think it was the Flanders World Championships after movie, for example, that they put on, on Twitter. It was not ASO that did it, but the organizers of that event. And it got 36 views, was it right? Until a certain social media influencer called The Lantern Rouge decided to diss it because it did not have many views because it was packaged on, like you mentioned, a event-based channel and not necessarily the uh, encompassing channel of that organizer or just the UCI World Championships in general. And the thing that actually boosted the video into getting recommended on YouTube and into getting into the algorithm and getting enough views to start triggering a bit was you reposting it with the this because it went from like 36 to I think 500 in no time because I checked it like a half an hour later 
it's it's insane how much social media influencership can improve the watchability or the content being shared and more people having eyes on that product and therefore i would one thing i would love to see is more knowledge about women cycling and more not necessarily well also coverage but also trying to lower the learning curve of the sport before that Tour de France women's edition arrives. You want to know who's riding it before that starts. You want to know how women's cycling differs perhaps from men's cycling, a crash course on it or something like that. You can find people definitely in the space that are interested in making that, myself included. And I feel like stuff like that can improve the interest in the sport because people are much more interested in an event when they know what's happening, who's involved, and whether they when they have history with the people that are riding it. Because sure, I think if someone watches the Tour de France 2006 for the first time, never watched cycling, he's gonna be like, "Who are these riders? I'm not sure who I should be supporting." Oh, that's a guy from my country. I should be supporting that person. But I feel like women's cycling has the same effect on a lot of people that have not had their feet dipped into women's cycling yet. And this will be one of the largest ways of doing that with the Tour de France Femme. And as a consequence, I think it's a good way to precede that event. Just before that event, create content on women's cycling, make sure people know what's happening, make sure people know uh, who is riding it, follow that through the entire season perhaps, just make sure that people know what's happening, what's at stake and which riders are involved and profile those riders as rock stars in their business because that's kind of what they are in this sport. And yeah, uh, I don't know if that made any sense, but I feel like that's a concept that I uh, would see valued highly because right now I think the biggest step is obviously the financial step, but you won't get financial interest if nobody uh, gets into the sport because they don't get that trigger of, ah, this is interesting, I should get into it. Or the learning curve being too high to start watching because that's one of the reasons I waited so long to get into it myself. I only watched women's cycling since uh, four years ago where I started following it and then it started going up and up until I'm now actually addicted to it. So yeah, (laughs) I guess that's uh, the positive part and that's what I want to see other people have as well because a lot of people think it's just a, a slower cycling race, but that's definitely not the case. It's fucking great. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I think the the route's pretty good. We'll have the full, full route analysis podcast in a uh, in a little bit. But yeah, I think I think on Thursday. But don't hold us to that. But yeah, um, Rio and and the women's tour. I'll have probably the highlights rights. Likely have the highlights rights next year, so that'll help hopefully putting it on as many free to wear, ensuring that the free to wear broadcasters do the same job as they do for the men's yeah. races will make a big difference. And I, I'm full confidence that they will do that uh but yeah the social media stuff yeah it it needs because it's not perfect for the men's races either so <laughs> i don't know there's there's a lot of stuff i change about social media stuff for the for cycling next question is there a big difference in equipment between teams from manu g yes i think there is performance difference between equipment the riders say it and like i think phil gilbert was like Aero base layer. <laughs> Aero base layer, yeah, all that stuff. Guys, the Israel Factor TT bike last year, like so, so slow. So the answer is yes. Can I quantify it? Do I know exactly what's fastest, what's slowest? No, but 
you listen to the riders enough, they say like, yeah, like the equipment's faster. Last question, I think, Benji, before we may have some ad hoc ones from Russ Voxman on Twitter. How would you broadcast a sprint? What are common mistakes during sprint, just a, a pure plain old bunch sprint, maybe a couple of turns, Benji, common mistakes or things that annoy the hell out of you? Well, first of all, like the broadcast itself, I feel like something I prefer when it comes to like, if it's a sprint in a, a straight line and isn't between like high high uh, houses and so forth, I just love the helicopter view. I always love it because you can tactically see what's happening on the damn screen. And if you watch it from front view every time, then it's harder to see whether riders are passing each other. Definitely like the finish line capture is really annoying if it's only like the uh, the finish, well, the finish camera that is doing it. But one thing that I also don't like is, for example, the Champs-Élysées camera, because you can't see what's happening. Like You can see one rider on the screen, and how am I supposed to see whether someone's actually coming from behind if it's not on the bloody screen? We couldn't see Turnison do the lead-out on Champs-Élysées either, and on one aspect, I think that's because they want to try and make it as immersive as possible by riding next to the rider and therefore giving you the feeling of the speed, but if it's costing actual value of knowing what's happening then it's not worth to make that move in my eyes and perhaps i'm one of the only people that thinks that way but that's something i uh i do value and also something else with broadcasting a sprint is yeah there could be less corners and so forth but that's also if they just follow the damn rules when it comes to sprints there should not be a corner in the final sprint so as a consequence you should not have need to have like 10 cameras after every single bend in the last 200 meters. <laughs> so I don't know. What's what's your take on this question? Because it's a bit of a, yeah, there's so many things we could say about it. Well, yeah, the biggest thing that annoys me is when they don't change the camera angle fast enough from the fixed cameras in the last 500 meters. They just keep it on the, the guys who are relevant. So that's my biggest annoyance. They need to, once the first 20 have gone, change it yeah. quickly. Uh, don't linger on guys who are literally just like making – trying to stay in the t- same time as the the peloton and helicopter shots interspersed you need a very adept producer to do that quickly and properly to have the helicopter because actually maybe just do it normally whatever but i i need the heli shot i need it straight after the sprint finishes yeah not 10 minutes i don't wait 10 minutes or after the results have that heli shot queued up because like a normal instant replay like you have in any other sport because yeah that's the angle where you can see what happened where benji and i can cash some checks talking about sprint deviations which people love to hear about but yeah other than that i think we've got through a fair few questions there if you when we ever we do another q a probably the third one when we hit a million subscribers uh it'll be at lantern rouge cp on twitter where you can ask us those questions uh, or on the podcast YouTube channel community tab, the Lantern Roof Stuck in Podcast YouTube channel. And you could also consider giving us a review or a rating on podcast players. I've got one last question though for you, Benji. What rate, What are you most excited about for for next year? Well, I'm excited about the entire season, just the LRCP aspect to it. I love this aspect to my cycling season. The races are fun, but... This gives an entire new dimension to it. And I enjoy every single race, really. There's a few that I'm like, okay, it's it's a Tour de Rome and the okay. But when it comes to like the team previews already at the start of the season, I'm reading stuff like on Reddit the other day where 
we said something about Cobrelli at the start of the season. And there's people that still go back and are like, okay, was this actually somewhat correct? And stuff like that is super hyped for me. The community feeling of it, people interacting with the content we make, that's what I look forward to the most. And I think next to that, I want to make 2022 uh, the year where I try and do uh, a lot of stuff that I wanted to do for uh, the last couple of COVID years, as in going to races, also uh, seeing your boy here at some point. Um, that is uh, something high on the bucket list for next year. Or, uh, well, the off-season is pretty <laughs> is here, so <laughs> might happen sooner than later. But I guess we'll, um, I guess that's the best thing I'm looking forward to meeting our co-hosts here and uh watching the vultures well actually the vultures are about to migrate from the pyrenees it's getting too cold really? so they'll migrate south yeah i believe i did see a couple of them still here but it's quite warm still that's um, in the yeah. comment section for the vultures i'll be monitoring their movements movements closely but yeah we're, we're welcome to your feedback as well we've just done a, an absolute salvo of pods throughout the year been a very busy time for us there's not really much time to change formats and things on the fly during the year. Uh, I do want to give a big shout out to our producer behind the scenes, yes. Ms. Rouge, if she would come off mute uh, as well to just introduce herself to the LRCP community. Hello. <laughs> That's all we're going to get. Remute. I'll remute you. Okay. <laughs> So we're gonna maybe we'll introduce Ms. Rouge and she can be Jamie of the Joe Rogan esque next year for the pod. But yeah, we're trying to incrementally improve, and the off season is where we brainstorm that sort of stuff. So any feedback, the recaps too long? Do you want to get us get us to cut straight to the analysis a bit quicker? What length do you like, etc. Or uh, things like that. We always all ears for things like that because yeah, we we are always trying to improve. Uh, as well but thanks for listening thanks for your support and we'll see you with the tour de france root reactions in a few days ciao